0: Field crest towards Quentin. I'm um, turning around. I uh, was driving down Quentin and I'm turning around and see if I can find him again. This is that Glover's subject. So U 1074, electronic under
1: where. NCJA 1014. 1011, have me to that. Take quarters to 11 1205. NCJA 1014.
0: Welcome to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014 podcast, and thank you for joining us for this very first podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Puckett tell you a little bit about myself, I got into law enforcement a long time ago in 1987. I made my first visit to Salemburg at the Justice Academy as a general instructor in 1987. spent some time as a canine officer, came back to the academy to get radar certification and specialized driving instructor training. So I've had a lot of diversity here in uh, training at the Justice Academy. And very happy to be here and be a part of this initial podcast. We certainly would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't start this first podcast, introducing everyone to the man behind the academy, and that would be the director Trevor Allen. Trevor, as I said, is in fact the current director of the academy, and here to discuss everything about the North Carolina Justice Academy and then some, and his vision going forward. Trevor, welcome to this first podcast.
1: Kirk, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thanks for helping us out with this project. Means a lot
0: my pleasure so just like me when i came down to salemberg in 1987 to get my general instructor certification i really didn't know what i was getting into but the the longer i have come to salemberg and and being a member of the adjunct teaching faculty and just walking around and seeing different pieces of history that never dawned on me as a young cop in 1987 right. talk a little bit about this campus yeah where the North Carolina Justice Academy sits. It, it didn't just grow up here. It, no,
1: you're it's... right. Uh, it didn't. And, and I think it was Harry Truman that said, the only thing new in this world is the history you don't know. Right. Right? So, uh, you know, having come here for training for many years, going back um, into the early 90s for a variety of different classes and then also out to our West Campus, um, I had no idea of the history that was here um, and got educated when I was appointed director here that, This campus uh, was many things before it was the North Carolina Justice Academy. um, But it was Pineland School for Girls, Edwards Military Institute, Mm -hmm. a number of different educational institutions. So the commonality is we've always had an educational focus here in Salemburg and and a a big presence for education. But it wasn't until 1973 that that focus shifted towards law enforcement and criminal justice training. Uh, And that was at the uh, behest of the uh, Criminal Justice Commission back in the early Mm -hmm. 70s that that started the academy. And um, we've been existing here since then as a primary deliverer of law enforcement training and even did basic law enforcement training back then. I remember that. Which now is done primarily through the community college system, although we still author and develop all the Mm -hmm. curriculum for it. uh, It's done at 58 different sites across the state, but we were doing it solely back then. And then in 1998... Uh, is when our west campus was formed and started out there so um i can say i was there from the beginning of that going to going to classes out in edneyville north carolina right just outside of hendersonville so a long history
0: i'm sorry what a great asset that is to have because if you live in Graham or Cherokee or
1: Alexander County, it's
0: a heck of a drive to make it out of the mountains
1: all the way down to Salem Park. Yeah, that's right. Uh, There's a a chief of police in the state who who has long said that that people will refer to anything around Greensboro and Winston as the western part of the state, and and him being in the far west of the mountains would obviously disagree with that. So you're right, it it does serve those other agencies out in the mountain area.
0: So tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up here at the North Carolina Justice Academy as its director?
1: Right. So um, I, I spent my law enforcement career um, with the Salisbury City Police. Mm-hmm. And I started there and uh, actually started, uh, pardon me, but I started with the Rowan County Sheriff's Department. Right. And I emphasize the word department because that's how old I'm talking with going right. back that many years because now you don't use the word department with sheriff's it's sheriff's office. office. Um, and people will, I've been corrected on that many yeah. times, so I, now I'm learned in it. But uh, so started with them back in 1992 and then, uh, and then went to work for the city of Salisbury. I worked there for 15 years. So I left there in 2008. I had gone to culinary school when I was uh, an officer just from a love for cooking. Right. But um, as most of our, our law enforcement brethren across the state will, will certainly empathize with, I didn't have a lot of money to go start my own restaurant. So it was a back burner dream for a long yeah. while. Um, And then my family opened a restaurant at Charleston, South Carolina, and said, we'd love for you to to help out. So I was at that midpoint, 15 years into a 30-year career. If I'm going to leave, I should probably do it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I took a jump and did that for several years. Um, Continued teaching at different places uh, around the country in the arena of use of force. Um, So I I never lost that love and connection to law enforcement. And eventually came back and uh, to the Raleigh area. Went to work for the Criminal Justice Standards Division, or what most would understand as training and standards. Worked there uh, up until my appointment here in uh, March, April of 2017. Right. Well, again, as as cops will do, they they have tendency to get
0: in this silo and they just do their thing, and they come down here and they get trained, and and they leave, and they don't ever think about what goes on behind the scene. I know you all can't do what you do here on this campus every day without some type of planning so Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about the strategic plan for the Justice Academy and and where we're headed with training.
1: Yeah sure Um, I love that opportunity to do that and you know when we when you think of any product any company there's a product you buy I'm looking at our table and I'm seeing you know bottles of water here or or a mobile phone Mm. sitting there and that's what people connect with but you don't really realize everything that goes on behind the scenes right. to make that bottle of water actually be produced and, yeah. and distributed. Uh, nothing different here in the world of training. There's, you know, we're sitting right now in an audio booth, right? When I was coming here for training 20 years ago, I didn't realize there was a video right. unit and an audio unit and yeah. a, a, a large print shop and all these other things and the, the housekeeping part and the maintenance part and grounds and all those things that make it work. Um, so I had to learn all that um, and get up to speed with that. But you, know, you, you mentioned. Planning and, and our strategic plan moving forward. For quite a long while, we had a uh, when I say we, meaning the academy, had a focus on um, student delivery, mm-hmm. the delivery of training to a, a larger number of students to increase our clientele, if you will. Right, um, and, and that worked, and there were very valid reasons for doing that for many years. But you know, everything evolves, Kurt. Sure. Everything evolves. When I started in law enforcement, and I'm sure much like you, we were handwriting reports. Mm-hmm right? In 1992, there was no such thing as an MDT or mobile data terminal. That was, that was, whoa, that's crazy future (laughs) stuff, right? And don't Uh, say that
0: to a young cop today, by the way. That's
1: right. And I don't know about you, but we weren't allowed to use whiteout either, right? You had to rewrite reports when you made mistakes. Uh, Not so much the case today. So, but, but that's all in the name of evolution. Everything evolves. And usually it's for a positive thing. Uh, For us, the the training development and delivery is no different. Uh, Everything has to evolve. When you look at the sheer amount of current and relevant research that's out there that drives a lot of the current events that you see in policing, we have to take advantage of that. We have to look at that and go, how much of that needs to be incorporated into our training so that we can pr- uh, prepare officers to serve their communities at the highest level? It just has to be. Right. So that's what you know. my training management staff and I you know, we backed up and punted for a minute and said, "What should we be including?" And and really, that's equated to our mission moving forward of a research uh, focus. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the most current information that we can include in our training to make it the best it could be? All right, because so that's our goal. Well, and and that leads me to another question about the delivery models. Certainly, when
0: I came here for instructor training in 1987, we were using overheads, and <laughs> we created this. Right, on a I remember of overheads, platform. grease <laughs> and pens, and right Yep, yeah, uh, and, and we were typing everything. There was really not a lot of word processing going on here. So, that's true not only for the the actual supplies that you use, but for the delivery method as well. And I know that there a term that has come up in instructional delivery is millennial. Mm. Uh, that there's a different type of learning, a different style of learning, uh, a different retention period. How has the academy and its instructional staff kind of adapted to that, or have they?
1: Absolutely, we have. Um, and that's based on, you know, again, some research that, right. that we're paying attention to that shows clearly, you know, people will remember, if you listen to this podcast right, when it's, when it's released, and, and I know there will be millions of you out there that are going to listen to it, and you'll be, have rapt attention to it, and you'll remember a lot of it, but the research will say that if you're just listening to something, how much of that will you remember, right. and really maintain that, that knowledge that you, that you received. So the model of standing in front of a class and delivering verbally a, a lesson plan to a class, while effective to a degree, things are evolving, right? We, we can be more effective in how we maintain and uh, how we increase that knowledge uh, maintenance uh, across the board. So the ways we're doing that, we've had a lot of success with our online training. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a little more interactive. Uh, it's it's a way for officers to not have to travel or go to a school, take time away from uh, away from work. For agencies like it, the chiefs and sheriffs like it, they tell me because I'm not paying out as much money in travel or time off. Um, you know, leaving my, my shifts you know, scarce with people being off to do training. People will say, I'm sitting on my couch, you know, right. while I'm off and completing right. this training and I don't have to, to take the other time to do it. So it's very effective that way. But can we do more than online? Absolutely, and we're looking at those ways too. Really scenario-based training is mm-hmm. something we're taking a very serious look at. You know, how can we involve the student officer in the training and make them participate rather than just listening to somebody present? Um, and we're finding that in many states, Uh, I I go around the country still and and listen to other states and and seeing how that's incorporated is very effective. Right.
0: Well, and and from that listening aspect, I know that the academy is heavy into surveying, uh, kind Mm -hmm. of needs assessment, I guess, if you will. So are deputy sheriffs and police officers and telecommunicators involved in this process as it evolves?
1: They absolutely are. So a couple of ways that's happening is uh, I attend all of the Chiefs Association, Sheriff's Association meetings, training officers, all those things and I'll ask you know one-on-one what would you like to see us do? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one way we do it and I get some good information that way but it's not aggregate you know it might be what that one officer that one agency is saying they need. So we're also doing that, I'm going to send out a, a survey in the form of a needs assessment this year. Uh, later this year, we're in the process of developing that right now. To really drill down on, okay, here's what we have historically done, what are you, your specific needs moving forward in terms of training and then how can we meet them? So right. a survey in that regard. Well, I know law enforcement is absolutely rife with acronyms and
0: <laughs> uh, you know we could sit here and spit them out all day long, but. Uh, one that you and I had talked about before we got on the air today was the right acronym, relevant, innovative, timely, engaging. And those just seem like words and descriptors that are absolutely perfect in a training-based
1: facility. Right. And, Kirk, I appreciate you, you calling me out on that acronym, RITE, and, and uh, I first got accused of, what? here's your new director, and he can't even spell the word Right. <laughs> Um, but that was intentional. So, the, uh, right is relevant, innovative, timely, and engaging. And, and my challenge to our staff is that unless it meets those four criteria, I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you don't have a goal and working towards a goal, you know, you do the same thing tomorrow you did today. I think Zig Ziglar said it best. You're going to be two days older and still not closer to a goal you don't even have, mm-hmm. right? You're just spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that really means is the relevant part. Are, are we, are we delivering training curricula and services to the field that's relevant to their current job, right? Not what was done. There's that old saying, you know, the way it's always been. Right. I, I hate nothing more than I hate that phrase, you know? It, it, you know? A lot of times the way we've always done stuff wasn't the most effective, right? Or wasn't the best way. Uh, innovative, so we've already talked about some of that, the online delivery scenario-based training. Uh, this podcast is innovative. Right. No one else is doing this in the law enforcement world, and we looked at this as a way to how can we deliver some topics to the field that may not lend themselves to traditional classroom delivery of a, of a formal lesson plan It might take 30 minutes to discuss recruitment or how agencies are addressing the opioid initiative mm-hmm. and, and that that epidemic um, so that's the innovative part timely is uh, i mentioned it earlier is making use of current research mm-hmm. you know there's so much stuff that came out of for instance the 21st century policing report right. or things from the police executive research forum or um, Noble and, and other agencies that are doing, I'm throwing more acronyms you. sorry but um, <laughs> I thought you were talking about me right well like yeah absolutely. A <laughs> <laughs> um, but so much is out there that we need to make sure we're using it and not references and research material from 20-30 years ago mm-hmm. let's make it timely today right. and then engaging is that is is that very thing of, of how can I get that student officer to pay attention fully make them maintain and keep that knowledge that they learn from us, and make them involved in the learning process. Right. So, Well, and,
0: and you know Trevor, I think having been on both sides as a trainer and a trainee, as a trainee, those are all things that I want. I want the topics to be relative. I want them to mm-hmm. be innovative. I want them to be timely. I want them to be engaging. Otherwise, I'm kind of like you. I'm really not interested when I get mm-hmm. to that thing. So I think as, as we develop young police officers and, and older ones as well, that our attention spans have to be somewhere in those four words.
1: Right, and I think, you know, I think any officer listening to this would, would think back to, I remember sitting in on firearms training in the classroom and talking about use of force and right. agency policy, and, and I remember some stuff about that. But that same officer who may have sat in that specialized firearms instructor training course they're going to remember being on the range with chad thompson right mm-hmm. they're going to remember how he helped them you know work through a shooting issue they had right. or, or here's how to teach this better because they were involved right right and the same thing for driver training or or you know subject control arrest you know, technique type of thing or physical fitness training all that stuff when you're involved in it more you're going to remember it more. right so and and, and obviously there are certain courses where it's going to
0: be hands-on mm-hmm driving radar uh the hands-on self-defense type the, there are things that just by the nature of the course there will be but there's always going to be some courses where you can't go hands-on how do you how does the academy addressing those that are just i guess for yep. lack of a better term traditional lecture based
1: well, Kirk, you know I will challenge that notion a bit. I, I, the, another thing that drives me crazy just as much as that's the way we've always done it is somebody says I can't, and that's probably just something oh, obstinate yeah. <laughs> about me, right? I say I can't, and I'm going to buy a golly off try and find a way to prove you wrong, but <laughs> probably a personal issue, but uh, <laughs> but we've even looked at some of those traditional classes. If you looked at school resource officer training, yeah. um, you know Scott Grantham is our, our instructor developer who's over that mm-hmm. that process, and you know he's recently put out a class called Advanced. SRO survival. And that is trying to address some of the issues with active shooter threats and and trying to be on top of that. But it's very hands-on. They spend some time on the firearms range with that. He uh, reviews the application of a tourniquet, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to prepare officers. Mm -hmm. So they're going to remember those things. What may have just been a classroom delivery before. Uh, Instructor training. You mentioned instructor training when you came here. That's, that's, I'm sure, has evolved quite a bit from when you and I first Mm -hmm. took it in terms of doing you know, practical skills of doing different presentations and preparing you for the end result. Um, Classes like verbal judo, um, just a variety of things that we do now in the classroom that are more involved in a practical skill rather than just being lecture. Some things, yeah, it's going to be tough to add in some things. You know, when you're taking Police Law Institute, PLI, Mm -hmm. and you're learning for two weeks about appellate and Supreme Court cases and that riveting stuff that's (laughs) thrown at you that, you know, that how much of that can we be practical with? I, that's a challenge, it is. But Always I won't say right can't. I won't say can't. snooze factor on that? <laughs> that's right. Not that I snoozed through that class. It was great, uh, and it's very popular for us. But you're right, there is a challenge to doing it in right. those types of environments. Yeah.
0: Well, and, and I guess that all goes back to what we talked about earlier, is, is the research piece. How do mm-hmm. we go out there and research and, and find new ways, find the innovative way, find the engaging way? So are there folks, on campus
1: that are charged with that? There are, we have a research and development uh, unit that we established uh, going about a year ago. We were we put this into place that, and it encompasses the in-service training development process mm-hmm. as well, because that changes every year. Right. Um, that's not to say that that unit is the only one doing research, not, not at all the case. All of our instructors and de- instructor developers do it uh, to revise their own courses mm-hmm. that they maintain. Um, But that unit specifically is looking at a number of things. And and I'm a curious person, right? So I think about, you know, last year we had uh, the majority of the officers killed in the line of duty in North Carolina last year who died in the line of duty was because of traffic crashes, right? right? And all of us, you know, fear and think most about, you know, shootings Mm -hmm. and and ambushes. And that's certainly a a big deal and a big threat. But I want to look at... Why did that happen? What is it with all these traffic crashes? Was there something that we could look at from a preparedness standpoint or a training standpoint that could have prevented those moving forward? Right. So that's curious to me from a very tangible perspective um, is officer safety. And, and if we're losing officers to traffic crashes, by golly, let's look into that. Right. So it's that kind of curiosity that's gonna lead some of our research. Right. Well, and I think too, as
0: a driving instructor, that's one of the things that we've always thought about when we're putting blet students out on the course and there's just this sea of cones Mm -hmm. is how do you effectively teach emergency response and pursuit driving in a sea of cones when the top speed is going to be 40 maybe 45 miles per hour right so i think those are ongoing challenges that as trainers Mm -hmm. and certainly from the academy standpoint how do you make it real is it is it through simulators uh, which are very expensive? Um, what can we do to revise BLT? I mean, there's just, it seems like it's its just, I don't envy your job because I know it's a challenge every
1: day. It's a constant evolution. Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't such a thing. I mentioned MDTs earlier. Mm-hmm. There certainly wasn't anything called a firearm simulator. Right. Right, or a driving simulator, right. or any of those things available 25 years ago. But now there are, and we're taking advantage of that. So we, we know from what the research that says that, you know, when you're out, uh, involved in an actual shooting that your accuracy percentage is vastly lower than what it is you're right. going to do when shooting a Absolutely. paper target and that makes sense right. because it's a different set of anxiety and, and a different set of circumstances you're dealing with um, that lowers that accuracy so it's one thing to shoot a paper target but how can we make it real mm-hmm. now we're not going to get into an actual shootout right. or, you know on the range right. with each other that's certainly not something we're going to explore but you know, a simulator is a big way to do that, mm-hmm. um, to, to actually show a number of different scenarios you might run into. And we do that with a couple of different courses, uh, mainly our use of force decision-making mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to expose officers to a number of different things where they have to decide, do I even shoot in this regard? Right. Um, and if I do, where's my threat? How do, mm-hmm. I, how do I address what I'm seeing on this screen while it's shooting a ping-pong ball at me, right, right and making right. it as real as we can make it? Right. Um, so we found those to be very effective. We now have a telecommunicator simulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we purchased that through a grant, uh, mainly through grant funding. Um, several months ago, we, we did an unveiling of that, and that will help our, our, our telecommunicator certification course by what putting the telecommunicators in as real a situation as we can in scenarios to show them what it's really like. Right. You know, it's one thing to read it off a of paper, but if I'm involved, it changes it. Right. So the bottom line is
0: at the North Carolina Justice Academy, needless to say, training is changing. Training is changing, right. and,
1: and, and we're trying to, um, you know, so much about law enforcement is you react. Right. A crime happens, you react, you go try to deal with it. I like responding better uh, than reacting. Response says that, uh, you know, there's a plan. Right. Right, and uh, we're thinking ahead about how we're going to react to these things. Right. Um, What's relevant today might not be a year from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to prepare for that and look into that. Um, And so the ever-present need for me is resources. Right. You know, I'm always looking for resources. Um, You know, the active shooter threat is probably the biggest threat we see, you know, in terms of, but if you asked any parent, me being a parent, I think about my kids going to school and the what if. Right. Right. We all do. Uh, And unfortunately, we had that happen in Charlotte very Mm -hmm. recently. The uh, University of Charlotte or North Carolina Charlotte and that so that's a very real threat the chiefs and sheriffs take it very seriously moving forward and they're going to look to us as the premier law enforcement right. training uh, organization in the state how we're going to address it right uh, I mentioned the advanced SRO course uh, we have had some in a very innovative training on our west campus just a couple of weeks ago um, Kirk, you're familiar with the um, the Bell Tower incident in Texas? Yes. Well, after that happened, and for those, quote, millennials listening right, right. now, that's, uh, we're, a, we're dating ourselves, aren't we, right <laughs> oh, now? In but, the worst way. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I think, going back, I think it was 68, um, which is actually still before I was born. I won't ask you. Thanks. Yep. yep. Uh, Texas State University looked at that, and they, they started looking, how can we do some training in right. this regard? Uh, and that has – They've done yeoman work in that, and they go around the country training officers in best ways to respond, to utilize the community. Um, They do a really innovative program called, and I'm going to mess it up, it's an acronym, but I think it's AAIR, Active Attack Integrated Response. Mm -hmm. And that combines not just law enforcement, but fire EMS personnel and telecommunications personnel together in the training environment, because they're going to be doing it together in the real world. So as opposed to traditional training or historical training where we do it separately, it's doing it all involved. And we've gotten great feedback Mm -hmm. on that. We've done a a couple classes out at our Edneyville campus and um, we're getting some people go through the train the trainer so that we can deliver more of that to the field moving forward. Well, there will always be a thousand what ifs uh,
0: after incidents happen. And I think a lot of times, as we mentioned earlier, we react and we don't respond. And it, and it sounds like where the Justice Academy is headed is more proactive. Let's be prepared right. for the what if as opposed to let's react to the what right. if. Right. So let's let's change gears just for a moment sure. and, and get away from the training aspect and talk about the service aspect that the Justice Academy has started to uh, provide. I, I know you all are kind of reaching out and going in, in different directions uh, for not just police officers, but different service with, within the community and within the state.
1: We really are, and um, we do it a number of ways, so I'll address a few of those. Uh, we actually have a, a, a charity organization that we support as an organization every year. We do it through several different activities per year. We think about the clientele that we serve as law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. By, and we host training for corrections and other sure. things, but in terms of the training we develop and our, our main mission, is to do law enforcement training. And when we think about those officers who have lost their lives in a line of duty, made that ultimate sacrifice, there are people out there that need to be taken care of, and that's their families, right? right? Their kids, their spouses. Um, So a group called Concerns of Police Survivors. The academy has has supported that organization for quite a while, and they provide a lot of programming and funding for families uh, in that situation. So what we've done is made an actual goal and part of our strategic plan is to increase our support of that annually. Nice. Um, and we raised, I want to say, over three thousand dollars last year uh, for that organization, which is the most we ever have. Mm-hmm. And you know, what endears me to people is I go, okay, well, we're going to do more next year, right? And uh, and we will. Uh, right. We find that as a a very big part of our mission, right? Not just training, but taking care of those who gave that sacrifice. Right. Um, and then every year we support the Police Officer Memorial Day, which goes around the state to different locations. The Department of Justice is responsible for putting that together, mm-hmm. um, and our staff does uh, does great work in helping plan that and, and make that happen and make it a reality. Um, but beyond those things, we've we do service for we provide service for agencies in a number of things legally. We have you know people will call with legal questions. Mm-hmm canine search questions, or, or you know, what does this mean for a drug raid we're about to do? Are we covered in doing that? Number of legal things our legal staff will take care of. Um, crime scene, we, we've had uh, one of our instructor developers who's over a crime scene, a couple of them actually have gone by request by agencies, hey, came, come take a look at, at this with us and tell us how best to respond to this, mm-hmm. um, or evidence room procedures. Uh, so a number of things, our folks are not just doing it in the classroom. They'll, they'll go on the road and right. go help agencies um, with any concerns they have, we can help with. Last year, uh, and it, it, you know, it's unfortunate that we've had so many hurricanes, you forget the names of them, so work with me here. But two years ago, we had Matthew, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and when Matthew came through, actually affected the Justice Academy, or maybe 2016, I guess, when Matthew right. came through. And we that. had a lot of damage here. Um, mm-hmm. Well, last year, we didn't have so much damage to us, not a ton, we did have some. But Sampson County surrounding us had a lot, southern Sampson County especially. Uh, our staff came together and donated uh, two different truckloads, van loads of everything from cleaning supplies to food items and clothing and, and all that. So th- just that sense of community, right? right? The, 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 you know, we serve the field at large, but this is our home, right? right? And we got to take, take care of those around us. So very proud of our staff for doing that. Um, so a number of different ways that, that we go beyond the classroom to serve. Right.
0: Well, and, and two, Trevor, I think that's one of the things that, as the broader sense of police officers throughout the state, they, they come to Salemburg, they leave Salemburg. They may come back to Salemburg, right. they'll leave Salemburg again. But I think what they, they don't get is just some of the things that you're talking about, is that all the work that goes on, behind the scenes to make the justice academy tick and it's it's enlightening just as a citizen of north carolina to know that the justice academy is is taking part of it and and being vested in a community that it's just not that that little hole down there in eastern north carolina that you go to and especially if you draw the low car and go during the summer that you're going to be eaten up by mosquitoes and you're going to sweat everywhere that it's, you go it gets a little warm here in the exactly summer. but 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 that the academy is taking a vital role within the community, and I, I think that's pretty special. And I think that speaks to the leadership that's here as well.
1: Well, it, and thank you for saying that, but it's it's really driven by the staff. You know, the, the ideas that I, I mentioned here weren't mine necessarily. You know, a number of people came up you with, know, the idea for the hurricane recovery was brought to me. Right. Then absolutely, let's do it. Right. That's a great idea. And it's not just Salemburg, Kirk. It's... um. You know in, in our edneyville campus as well um, a couple of years ago there was a situation where there were a lot of fires right. in and around the mountain area around hendersonville area around there and we opened our doors up to the firefighting staff because they needed a place to do what right to crash up. and sleep right. and get something to yeah. eat and, before they yeah. go out and fight fires again yeah. so it even transcended the law enforcement mission right. to our other first responders right. to come and serve them too yeah
0: well i think it's just great to see that you know not only is the academy changing for training but the academy is changing the way that it is part of this community Mm -hmm. both at Edneyville and and, uh, here in Sampson County at Salemburg as well. So I know you can't do this all alone. There have to be some partnerships involved and I'm sure there are a litany of those that you want to to talk about.
1: There are a lot. I mean I I can really look at the 100 sheriff's offices, the 450 some police departments we all partner with Mm -hmm. at some level. Um, but we go beyond that. I mean, we just recently revamped our leadership program, the North Carolina Justice Academy Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing a couple of different critical partnerships with that to make that a reality. It's a two-phased program. Um, and I'll take this opportunity to advertise it, and hopefully we'll get some of the listeners who will be interested in taking this. Um, it used to be called our Management Development Program, which was formerly a 11-month program where officers spent a week away every month mm-hmm. for 11 uh, 11 months the, we've shortened it while keeping it just as relevant and brought it even more timely with new information mm-hmm. it has two phases the first is an online phase through Wake Tech so the partnership is with Wake Tech mm-hmm. uh, Wake Technical College out of uh, Raleigh area and, and that's a 400-hour online uh, program but again it's do it at your own pace right. it's an introductory public safety leadership course that will prepare them for the second phase which is three weeks in the fall well, actually, late summer. So August, last week in August, we have a week here on campus mm-hmm. where we discuss the five principles of leadership as it relates to law enforcement. And then the second week is the last week in September. That will be in Chapel Hill at the UNC School of Government. Mm-hmm. We've realized we can't do it all alone. We've got to find experts who can deliver stuff for us as well, and they are certainly do a, a great job. So second week with them, and then the third week back with us here in Salemburg to finish it out. All right. uh, so that's one of our, our big partnerships we're excited about with the Department of Health and Human Services, their forensic test for alcohol branch. And the listeners will realize that when it comes to, well, you remember, what was it? Mm-hmm. It was breathalyzer it was Breathalyzer back, back then <laughs> and then Toxalyzer. Uh, but it's also drug uh, recognition expert and standardized field sobriety, that's mm-hmm. what that group's responsible for. Um, they were looking for a training database, right? How do we handle a database for all the training we're doing? Mm-hmm. They started looking at the database that we've been using for a few years, called ACADIS. And they were looking at buying it on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, in a rare instance of government working efficiently and, and spending tax, <laughs> taxpayer money, um, you know, responsibly, we the powers that be sat down, and this preceded me, the the initial discussion on this, but I was certainly happy to continue it, was why don't we partner on it, Yeah, right? So, right. you know, they're training the same people we train. Why would we have two different systems doing the same thing? Right. It didn't make any sense. So we've partnered in that regard gotten some more functionality out of it for us. Brought them on board. They're getting what they need, and it was cheaper for the taxpayer, right. so that made sense. Um, but we also partner with, um, you know, the Chiefs Association uh, in their delivery of training at their conferences, on mm-hmm. uh, helping them out. Uh, the Sheriffs Association as well, because been a great partner of ours for a number of years. Mm-hmm. They do great work. The Office of Staff Development training, which is sort of our counterpart at in the Department of Adult Correction world. Mm-hmm. So training the correction officers and juvenile justice and all them, we host their training. I think I mentioned that earlier, so it's a great partnership. The uh, North Carolina Wildlife Commission does the their training of their entry level, uh, training for their officers mm-hmm. on our campus. We just graduated the license and theft class uh, today, mm-hmm. an hour before I walked in here, I was at their graduation. So we're happy to have those partnerships with a number of different agencies and organizations moving forward. It's a little premature to detail it, but uh, one of my deputy directors and I, a week ago, sat down with North Carolina Emergency Management mm-hmm. to discuss some, and they're going to come do a tour with us soon, um, to discuss ways we can partner to do some, some training with them as well. Right. Hurricane preparedness and response, active shooter, mobile field force things. So we're real excited about seeing what could happen. Right.
0: Well, I'll go back to one of our opening statements as we kind of hit the summary button on this thing to say that you know, this place is changing on a daily basis and thank goodness yeah. it's not staying the same as right. when I walked in here in 1987 <laughs> but again and, and I know that's been an evolving process of I, I think during my tenure I've seen four maybe five directors here but it, it's just refreshing to know as a guy who's now on the back side of his career to see what's happening at the Justice Academy both on the east and west campuses and yeah. to know that we're putting the very best training out there the very most relevant training timing engaging innovative that you know we're entrusting the cops who are out there protecting right. folks on a daily basis and just I don't know any other way to say it except congratulations
1: on a job well done well I'd, I'd love to be able to take the credit Kirk but it has really very little to do with me I, I, I look at my staff and my management staff often and I say how are we gonna do this and they come up with a lot of the ideas right. Um, so, it, But it's also on the back. of well, You mentioned the former directors uh, that you knew some of them right. personally, and, and so did I. I mean, going back, I didn't know Perry Powell, first director mm-hmm. here. That's a little before my time. But Marty Stanford and Peggy right. Schaefer and Mark yeah. Strickland all before me, you know, we wouldn't be able to start looking to the future and in being innovative and engaging if it weren't for the solid foundation that they provided. Right. You know, they – Let's face it, this wasn't a startup, right? There was a great base already started when I got here that that we could start moving forward on other things.
0: Well, speaking of startups, uh, we're at the end of our startup podcast. Folks, you've been listening to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014. My guest today has been Academy Director Trevor Allen. And again, as we said at the outset, no no better way to start this uh, series of podcasting than with the guy who is behind the North Carolina Justice Academy here in Salemburg, North Carolina. Again, Trevor, thanks so much for what you do
1: and how you do it. Kirk, thanks so much to you, too. Appreciate you being involved. Thanks, folks.
0: Next time on NCJA 1014, we'll start our six-part discussion on the opioid crisis in North Carolina. We'll have special agents with the North Carolina SBI in the studio to discuss the importance of personal protective equipment out in the field. The next time you're on one of our campuses, please stop by the North Carolina Justice Academy bookstore. There you can find books, t-shirts, collectible coins, and much more. You've been listening to the North Carolina Justice Academy 1014. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If you have any questions that you would like answered, please contact us. Send any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed to NCJA Information at
1: ncdoj.gov. We're here for you.